We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Well, welcome. I'm Julie Sedanko. I'm here with Dawn, a woman who lived in a destructive marriage for 23 years. And when I say destructive, I mean addiction, emotional, spiritual, and financial abuse. Dawn, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You saw red flags in your relationship before you were even married. Yes, there were huge uh, red flags, actually. One of the first ones was the fact that my family and my friends were just like, okay, we're uncomfortable with the relationship. And they really warned me. And especially if you have multiple people coming and telling you, hey, there's issues here. But honestly, the more that people tried to tell me that, the more I defended and dug in. And what were um, they telling you? What did they see? They just said, we don't think he's right for you. And probably they probably saw some of the same red flags that I did, that he was a pretty heavy drinker. And he already had an addiction background. He had told me about, he had already been in treatment, but for alcohol. Yes. Which of course, if you've been in treatment for alcohol, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, And just even there were financial issues. He had trouble holding a job down. He was a big spender and really he was a big personality also very prideful, kind of arrogant, kind of, which is kind of opposite from how I view myself. Um, and then also there were some anger and aggression issues. Say we were driving and somebody pulled out in front of us and then we got stopped at a red light. He would mm-hmm. get out of the vehicle and go have a confrontation. And and he always carried a gun, which he never brandished it, but that made me nervous also. And so there were red flags, but the mistake I made, and I think it's really easy to fall into, is that I just thought if I just love him and yeah. I just see the good in him, and, and he, I will say that he is a brilliant person. I mean, he has a good heart. So I just thought I could fix him. I was going to be Well, and that's him. the thing too, isn't it? Is that, you know, there are red flags, but we all have good and bad, right? It's not, it's not as easy as Oh, it's the guy in the black cowboy hat. He's the bad guy and he's always bad, but there are some very endearing, wonderful qualities, even in a destructive spouse. And it makes it very confusing. Isn't that true? Yes. And you know, when I met him, he had a lot of issues and he was in a bad place. And I thought, gosh, if I just help him get on his feet and just showing that someone that can love him, then everything's going to be great. And that just wasn't the case. And I will say this also going in, I really did not understand the power of addiction. I did not Mm -hmm. really understand how destructive, I mean, to me, addiction was, oh, they drink a little much and they can be difficult, but soon I would find out, uh, I mean, addiction is just, it's terrible. It's It's destructive. Yes, it is. So like so many people who are in love, you ended up getting married despite all the warning signs and pretty quickly you found yourself in kind of a pattern of abuse and addiction. Kind of describe to our listeners what the pattern looked like in your marriage. The pattern, well, right away, um, really on our honeymoon, it started I think anytime you get married, kind of the best behavior goes away, but then it was like drinking, mixing prescription drugs. And that was the Mm. first I really saw like, oh, wow, this is 
what this can do. So honestly, on our honeymoon, I almost flew back home and called wow. everything off. I, seriously, it was that whole thing of like, what's that going to look like? I know people were not, you know, really on board with us getting married, but then I, I didn't. Also in this, we got married in April and he had a son by a previous marriage. And that summer we got full custody of his son who was eight at the time. So we also then we had that mixed in there also. So I'm just trying to figure out what the heck is going on and then be a good mom and then try to shield an eight-year-old because my background is in education. And I mean, he is my stepson, but only because I didn't give birth to him, love him to death. We have a great relationship. But all of a sudden, it's like we were in and out of hospitals and emergency rooms. Whether now I know there are panic attacks. He always thought he was having a heart attack, or the, the your son was having the panic attack. Oh, I'm sorry. No, my husband. My okay. Husband, yes, I okay. I apologize. So he may wake up in the middle of the night and say, "I have to go to the ER, and I need you to drive me." But then I also have a kiddo asleep. That so I'm waking him up and you know, sitting with him in the car while my husband's in the ER and just thinking my world is just spinning, like what in the world's going on? And then there would be injuries or surgeries. And with that always came prescription drugs and they were abused. And then I would be called into the doctor mm-hmm. and told like, well, you just don't understand and you're over-religious or you don't understand, you know, what he needs. And anyway, the doctor would tell you this. Yes. Triangulation. Now I have a word for it was always part of our dynamic. So I would get called in. The doctor wants to talk to you. Well, of course he had laid the groundwork to tell the doctor how horrible I was and that he wasn't abusing prescriptions, which eventually the doctors would figure it out. And then usually they would not have him as a patient anymore, but that would happen in counseling and in all kinds of things because he is a very, well, the not nice word for it is manipulative, but I mean, he is a big personality. He's very charming and very easy to believe. So that was triangulation and things like that. And the addiction, I mean, I really can't think of a time in our marriage that addiction was not present. It was just how bad it was, you know, how bad it was. Was it kind of under control, which can addiction be under control, but you get used to living with it Hmm. or was it just out of control? And again, it was, he kind of had an addictive personality. I mean, there were gambling issues or just whatever he did, he did to an extreme spending uh, was a big issue. So those were patterns. And again, usually what would happen is the behavior would start building and getting out of control. And of course I would say, Hey, we got to do something, try to talk him into making changes. And usually he wouldn't listen until I, I can't say it was a rock bottom because it kept on, but there would be some huge thing, either all the cards were maxed out or that there had been hidden spending that he like, okay, so I had no idea he was even gambling. And then he was like, I have a $10,000 gambling debt. What are we going to do? And then that then. Okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just picturing my husband telling me that. And that would not be a good conversation. I don't know that I would I mean, you had to have flipped out, right? I mean, what did you do when he's like, oh, by the way, I I was in total shock. And I will say at the beginning of our marriage, I had no, I was boundary less and I would just say, okay. And 
give him the money and going about it about my business and it's funny that you said that because my friends that had gotten married about the same time they tell me now they're like we're fighting with our husbands about who's taking the trash out and you're (laughs) just like casually like oh I found out he had a ten thousand dollar gambling debt but when you're in it okay you I mean it sounds crazy but it's like normal life yes yes And so even in counseling, that was one thing that would come out as I would say, well, he said this, but I don't know if it's true. And then she stopped me one time and said, do you know how many times that you say that? And she said, I can't imagine, kind of like you said, I can't imagine being in a marriage where I, there's that amount of distrust, but honestly, there was so much deception to this day. I probably don't know half of the things that happened and I can truly say, even though I was married to him for 23 years, I, I really don't know who he is. And so, wow. yeah, so, but that was from the very start. So, and in addition to this financial mismanagement, which is the understatement of the world um, and the addiction, you said there was also spiritual abuse and control and emotional abuse. Just describe what that looked like in your marriage? The emotional abuse, one of the big things is, is I was either the angel or the devil. Like I was either, oh my gosh, God sent you to me and you're so wonderful and just been patient and loving. And that's if I was going along and doing what he wanted. But if I started to try to have my no or, you know, question things that he wanted to do, well, then I was a devil and I was self-righteous and, you know, how dare I say anything? Or I was, if my feelings were hurt, well, you're just oversensitive. The hardest thing was, and I am more of a sensitive person, but if he would say something that would maybe be crushing to me and I would start crying, you know, for most people, that's a cue to like, oh, wait, back up and let's go back and have some examine that. Right. But it would be like, yeah. And don't you dare start crying. And then it would just make you mad because he saw it as manipulation. And it, so it was, it was really hard. And then this is, I think, very common also because I had had family members and friends that I knew already were not on board. Instead of going to them and saying, you're right, then I kept all of that hidden and just tried to deal with it myself. Which makes sense because that would be a very almost humiliating experience, right? Uh, sure. You don't want to be like, oh man, I should listen to you. Um now, was he a Christian? He um, claimed to be a believer, and that's it with the spiritual abuse. So at first, we were we were not in church regularly, but there was a point that we got really serious about going to church. We went to a larger church. It ended up breaking off and there into a smaller church that had very uh, very strong ideas about headship and things like that. And he was all over that. And so the spiritual abuse there, I actually had the pastor, and this was actually after we left the church and there were more addiction issues arising. He had not even spent time with me. He had spent time with my husband. So I guess they were talking and he was talking again about having the struggling with uh, his addiction and the pastor actually told me that my husband had to be on drugs just to be married to me. And oh then he quoted Proverbs. Yeah, he pro- quoted Proverbs 21, nine, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a nagging wife. 
And did he, did he know about the addiction? He did, but it was all my fault. I was an unsubmissive, ungodly wife. It was a very unhealthy church. When I look back now, the majority of the women in there were on some type of antidepressant or just, yes, it was, it was devastating. Okay. I'm holding back from asking you the name of the church and the pastor just to warn everybody. That's well, terrible. The church is not around anymore and he is not. Shock. What a shock. Yes. Good. Yes. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Yes, definitely. So Don, how did all of this impact you inside? What were you saying to yourself? How did you feel about yourself? I mean, to have a pastor tell you something like that, what was going on inside of Don? It was devastating. And you start wondering, like, do I have this all wrong? Do I even know who I am? Am I all these things that I am being told? And really, you start, you stop listening to your voice. You, in a way, you, I don't want to say you stop listening to God, but you start thinking, well, God must think I'm a bad person. And you doubt your own beliefs, you doubt your own convictions, and you, you really enter this period of disorientation, if that makes sense, that you yeah. don't know what's up, what's down. I will say this, I will thank my husband for this. Because again, part of it, I think just because you're in survival mode, and I'm like a stuffer. So I would just stuff it down and not deal with it. And so I kind of just numbed myself to everything and just pull myself up by the bootstraps and was like, okay, just kind of plow your way through this. But we came to a point he had had, there was had been a big revelation. Uh, there was a game he was playing online for a really long time. I mean, this was like for a year we fought about it and I just said, whatever, he's going to do it. There's nothing I can do about it. But then I found out that people were paying money to play it. So I asked him and said, like, are you paying money? He said, no, that's why I have to pay all the time. And again, I, at that point, the good thing was we just let him be absorbed in that. And the kids and I were like, we're going to do our own thing. And that helped us not isolate Mm -hmm. and get involved in other things. But then there was this, oh, sit down. There's going to be a revelation blindside and found out over the time, this time, which he's told me two different amounts that he had lost thirty to $40,000 playing the game. Like he was paying money. And the only thing that stopped him is one of his teammates. So he was lost- a really horrible gambler. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was this. I mean, after 10,000, yes. you're like, maybe I should quit. Yes, yes. Wow. Uh, but this was one of those, like there's generals and armies. I don't know. I didn't even understand all that. But in what kind of got his attention is one of his teammates had gotten in so much debt, he actually shot himself in the head. And yes, so I think he may have kept on going if it was not for that. So that's why I said there was that pattern of like, we're going to push it all the way to the max. And then we're going to fall apart, and then calm down again. So at this point, I just said, like, look, again, here's the patterns, they're not getting better, they're getting closer together. It's bigger issues. And like, you got to get help. And so on his own, at first he said he didn't need help, but there was a counselor he had seen years before. And he said, I'm going to go back to the counselor, which I was like, wonderful. Well, then he said, well, the counselor wants to talk to you. And I thought, okay, the counselor just wants information. And then that turned into, oh, the counselor thinks we need to do marriage counseling. 
which again, knowing Leslie's information here, it's like, ding, ding, ding. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't feel like her issues were marriage or, I mean, we of course had marriage issues, but that was not the main issue. But again, if you're a good Christian wife, you're, you know, and you know, there's issues that seems very counterintuitive to say like, no, I'm, I won't go. Well, yeah. If you want to save your marriage, you go to marriage counseling, right? Yes. So I said, okay. And that was another disaster. I would, after every session, I would cry for days and we had been in counseling mm-hmm. off and on through a whole marriage. And so I kept on trying and it, this is when I found my no, is that I just said, I, I can't keep doing this. I will find my own counselor. I can't tell you why I can't, I can't do this. Because again, like where you're asking about what are you feeling inside? You're just so lost. You don't even have the words. You just know it doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and again, because your body will tell you a lot of times before you can kind of cognitively process And so I started looking for my own counselor and got into counseling. And then I saw, I was watching a YouTube video and a video of Leslie showed up. I didn't even remember what the video was at this time. I just remember watching and thinking, oh, maybe like, maybe there's something here. So I ordered the emotionally destructive marriage. And then that was a game changer for me. That is when all that inner turmoil and things not making sense and just feeling stuck, knowing something's wrong, but I don't even know the first step to take. That's what helped me start on this, the journey to figuring out what was going on and to heal. That book is a huge light bulb moment, isn't it? It's huge. I am so thankful. Do you remember what those first moments were like when you're reading the book? Do you you remember what stood out and kind of grabbed you? Yes. The first thing was, and I think it was because it was so new to me, I, even though I had refused to go to marriage counseling anymore, I still felt like I'm the bad girl, I'm rebellious. And so when I got to her chapter about why marriage counseling doesn't work, I literally just sat and cried because I think that was one of my first moments of thinking I'm not crazy. I'm not just being a horrible wife or a bad Christian there is a legitimate reason that I feel this way. And then also the difference between a disappointing, a difficult and a destructive marriage. And also I think, I think even her using the term destructive, because I think at that point, in fact, that's been one of my biggest struggles is to actually call it abuse because I grew up in the time that like battering was abuse and I wasn't battered. That was one of his boundaries is like, I haven't hit you. And I haven't cheated on you. Anything else goes, but you can't complain. So even I think even the church tends to agree with that, right? If you don't have any a black eye, then you're not abused. And that is such a messed up way of thinking. Well, especially because think about this. So there's physical battering, like you said, but when you have emotional abuse. You do. It's very common, and especially if there's gaslighting part of it, you think you are losing your mind. So, which I mean, well, and that's why I asked you earlier what was going on inside because you know you can see a black eye. Yes. But these women who are undergoing emotional abuse, it's like if you could unzip and see what's inside. I think pastors, people would scream at the damage that's being done. 
and would not even question that it's abuse, but you can't see it. Absolutely. And this was hard for me also is even after that, and I started sharing, I couldn't tell people why I couldn't share. So part of that, I think we want, we hope that our husbands are going to repent and get their lives together. And so we want to protect their image because it makes it harder if everybody knows. I think also we deal, or I did, I felt shame just for what all had happened, whether I should or shouldn't. And then again, part of that, you don't have the words and the understanding for even what's going on, which was why Leslie's book was so helpful. And well, there is this shame too, right? Because, oh, the red flags were there. People warned me. So now I've made my bed. I better lie in it for the rest of my life. Yes. Well, and you feel like a failure. I mean, the only thing I really wanted to do in life is I wanted to be a good mother and a good wife. And so in my mind, then, okay, then I failed. And I want to go back to what we were talking about with the physical abuse also. So with emotional abuse, to feel like you're losing your mind, I think that's, I mean, they're all terrible, but I think that's worse than being hit. And then when you have spiritual abuse, I mean, spiritual abuse and emotional abuse go together. You can't have spiritual abuse without it also being emotional abuse. But that is the very core of your relationship with your creator and who he created you to be. And so that's something even talking to pastors or people that may talk to some of these ladies that I tell them is the whole detachment thing. Some of these husbands have already detached and kind of like Leslie talks about the woman is an object. The woman is still trying to figure out what is going on and is still very hurt and attached. So if they both come in and talk to the pastor, he looks like totally calm, cool, and collected. And she's a mess. And part of that is because he has already, he's, he's already left really. And she's still trying to figure out what's going on. So yeah, I think there's a lot that, a lot of misconceptions and things that we have to learn. A lot for sure. Yes. Now you had found her book and then eventually joined the private membership group Conquer that Leslie has. And then you took some of the other classes that she offered. What did you take and how were they helpful to you? I joined Conquer and then I took walking and core strength about the same time. And that was really good because I was kind of stuck in my counseling. I was in counseling at that time. And my counselor was saying like, you need to make a decision. Like what direction are you going? Are you moving toward leaving well, staying well, which I love that the well at the end of those or separating well. And since I was in the middle of walking through core strength, so actually I would take those materials even and go over them with my counselor. And so we had a goal by May that, that once I got through those materials, I would know what route I would take. So it ended up in the middle of them that I found out, even though we were working with a whole, with our pastor and a team of counselors that addiction was present. I, none of us knew, but I was so thankful. You mean the alcohol addiction or the prescriptions? This was prescriptions. Yes. And so from that, then I had to make the choice. That was what led me into, okay, we're going to, he's going to go to treatment and then we're going to go into a, a therapeutic separation. Texas doesn't have a 
legal separation. But I was so thankful to already have the materials from Leslie's book and also walking in core strength that happened right in the middle of that. So even I could share some of that with the ladies in there and process through that. And of course, with addiction, a big part of that is enabling. So the whole part about being empathetic without enabling, that was huge. Yes. Um, and core for people who don't know, uh, walking in core strength, do you want, do you want to describe it? Sure. You have C is that I will be um, courageously committed to the truth. And that seems easy, but sometimes the truth is really ugly. Very and hard. so, yes. And then, so you're going to test me now and see if I can say it all by memory. Well, why and do then, you think I pass it off to you? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then O is I will be open to the Holy Spirit and wise others. That was huge. And especially the wise others, because you have to filter out what is wise and what is not. And then R is I will be responsible and respectful without dishonoring yes dishonoring myself and then the e is i will be empathetic without enabling and so those were really good there's so much when you're going through a separation and all that just logistically and you're grieving and so to have all the information that i had before i went into that was so helpful instead Mm -hmm. of waiting last minute. And, and also when you were asking in the book, cause she has the quiz that you could take that helped me see all these different areas, like that financial abuse, that was huge. And just the amount of deception. So it really helped me even before we went into this to realize all the different types of abuse and things that were happening and to be at peace with that decision to go on with the separation. So you, you separated and then Is that kind of when the bombshell happened? Well, so our agreement, and again, we sat with our counselors and and did this, was that he would go into treatment and he had a couple of weeks to get everything together for that. And then after he got out of treatment, there would be a minimum of six months separation. And then at the end of the six months, we would see how that was going. And since it was a therapeutic separation, I mean, they set out like, this is not a time to find yourself. This is not a time to date. This is to heal and rebuild trust and all of that. But he came out, already the reports out of treatment were not great. And the first night out, he went to 6th Street in Austin and, you know, where bars and everything is that you're not supposed to be. And then from that, just, uh, I mean, wild spending, it was just very obvious that this was not about rebuilding trust and all the things it was supposed to be. This was like, Hey, I get to have a family over here that I'm not having to be responsible for, but I'm going to live like a bachelor. And so at that point, and, and this was something, actually, this was good that Leslie had taught me was the whole idea of, instead of personalizing everything that you sit back and say, what is this telling me? So instead of just being like, Oh my gosh, and I'm not good enough to say, okay, here's the behaviors. This was all very clear. So how is this informing me? And part of that detachment. That is a very scary exercise though, isn't it? And it goes back to that being committed to the truth because answering the question, what is this telling me? You have to then admit it's telling me he's not going to get better, that this isn't getting better and that my marriage may be over. That's a very scary thing to admit. What was that like for you? It was really hard and I did not do it perfectly. Even though I went on and filed for divorce, 
then I really was said, okay, I file, but that doesn't mean that we have to, like Texas has a 60 day waiting period. I'm like, that doesn't mean that at that 60 day mark, we have to get the divorce, but he was very like, no, the decision's been made. And, and so really, even when the 60 days hit, you know, I was still trying everything in my power to hope that there was going to be some miracle. And when the 60 days hit my, he was trying to get in touch with my attorney and call me, well, what's the holdup? And I kind of offhanded said, well, what are you in such a big hurry for? Is there somebody else? And he, no, no, no. And then later it was after we were divorced. I found out, in fact, he had met somebody in treatment and they had been developing a relationship and there was someone else. Well, yes. And she found that out the hard Uh way. And I will say this, if it's okay to share this too, during this time, because it is, it's not just like you flip a light switch and then everything's easy. It's, it is excruciatingly hard. There's no shortcutting it. You have to go through it. But during my prayer one day in Jeremiah 29 and just praying all of that. And so I kept on praying like, God, restore, 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 restore. And one day, and I, I know we always have to be careful. We say we heard from God, but it was so much, not what anything I would have thought on my own. God very clearly said, this is your restoration. You have been living in exile. This is your restoration. And that was a game changer for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. But that's not the restoration that you were praying for, is it? No, no, it was not. And I, I think too, we talked about the one son that you shared when you first got married, but you had three other children together. Yes, I have a 16-year-old and then twins that are 14. When there's children involved, making the decision to divorce is even more brutal. But you did. You divorced two years ago. And how are the kids and how are you doing today? We're doing great. Actually, I will say something that I think helped the kids. Of course, it's always hard. It's it was not easy. But whenever he was in treatment, they part of that is there is a family program. And so they talk about um, like the three C's. I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. And so we Uh, I think you had to be 15 to be able to participate in the Zooms and things because this was during COVID. And so I would do those. And then I very much did a program with my children to where we just talked about it. We talked about that they didn't cause it and that we still, we love daddy and he's wonderful. He's just struggling and we all have struggles and things like that. And so I think that set a tone for just being very honest with them about um, what was going on. Also, when he came out of treatment he was a very different person which but not in I mean that's what we're hoping for in one way right but it was it was opposite of that and they saw a side of him and even I saw a side of him that I hadn't seen before so in a way it's it was kind of like I don't even feel like that's my dad so in what way because it seems like it was pretty bad before he got out and he just was almost I want to say like a mania and he he was smoking he had smoked when we first married the kids had never seen that he smoked which again not judging that but even when one of the kids said something about it he attacked them and that they were you know well gosh you're not very understanding and and things like that and he just kind of went off the deep end and 
I mean, he's was in his 60s. He's in his 60s. And he started getting tattoos and piercing his ears and jumping out of airplanes. And I don't know, it was just really different. And he kind of was in his own world. The kids were kind of over on the side. And, you know, if he wanted to do things with them, he would. If not, he wouldn't. No, no, I'm sure also the other relationship and being busy with that had things to do with it too. But it so, sounds like he had left his family a long time before this. Yes. Yes. And then again, and it's really hard to do, and especially with court system and wanting to have healthy relationships, just if they went with him and they came home, I would just listen and let them just, you know, kind of decompress and all of us. And this is goes with addiction. Also, you walk on eggshells and you give in. And so we had to learn, like, we can love him. Um, we pray for him out loud every night as a family. Still, we do. I mean, and not in a bad way, just like we put him in your hands. We, you know, love him, want you to work in his heart and life. But to say, like, it's okay for him to be mad at you. Like, you need to have your no. You, We can't yeah. just all go around that everything revolves around him and we have to walk on eggshells. And I will say, I ended up with the house and it was a lot to keep up with. And I was trying to decide whether to sell it. And people are like, oh no, that'll be too much on your kids. And my kids said, mom, we want to move out. Like we love this house. We have good memories, but we have bad memories. And the first night in our new house, they were just like, peace, peace. And so we just live in this peace. And again, I mean, I've got three teenagers right now, so it's insane. I've got two. So uh, (laughs) God help you. Yes. The, the decision to divorce when you have children and you mentioned when they would come home from his house, I think a lot of women are saying, I'm not going to divorce the guy because I don't want my kids to have to go and be with him. Mm-hmm. Was that a huge factor or fear of yours? There were several layers of fear, I think. And I would have people come to me and say, you can't get a divorce because your kids are going to grow up in a broken home. And I would, like after they- I had- that was a broken home already, right? Right. And that's what I would say is, but this is the reality. Like they're already in a broken home. This is not healthy for them. We're just pretending and nobody knows. And so I had to get out. That was one level I had to get over. And then there was a lot of fear. Um, they're older. We, I actually like 12 years ago had left and filed for divorce. We ended up reconciling and my kids were really young then. So that was hard, but I was able to get supervised visitation, but for teenagers, you're not going to get supervised visitation. So some of that I've had to put in God's hands. I will say fairly recently, there was a mental health crisis and some things happened and I did have to um, go and put some legal safeguards in. And so there's still some legal safeguards in right now. And so, mm-hmm. so that's hard. That it, it is hard and every situation is different. So I don't ever want to just blanket say like, oh, and it's fine and God will take care of them. I mean, So you have to really navigate that, but that is really hard. And I will say, so with my oldest, my stepson, honestly, that's probably one reason that I did not leave earlier, because if I would have left, not only, I mean, I wouldn't have had access to him at all and he would have been in a bad situation. Mm. So yes, that is big. And I, I have to say this also, we had a tremendous support system. I talked about how my husband was kind of into his own things and we were very involved in our church and activities and we have a wonderful community. We did not isolate. I think it's much harder also if you're isolated. 
Um, And so we had a loving, supportive community. I have an amazing pastor that when everything happened the first night out of treatment, literally the next morning just sat on the phone with me while I just cried and Mm -hmm. couldn't even put words together. And so, but, so we, we have to build community around us, but then also we have to be honest with that community. We have to be honest with counselors. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, there's yeah. two parts of it because nobody can help us if they don't know what's going on. And that's really hard. So Don, how is your life different today? There's just, the big word is peace, just peace. And then another word um, for me is restored. Like, I just feel like I'm restored to my right relationship with God and not that God had gone anywhere, but what I thought God thought about me and just being probably closer to him than I've ever been before, knowing what my purpose is and walking in that purpose. Those, those are really big things. And also realizing like that I do have value. Like I tend to be, I'm a big giver and I can just give and give and give, but to realize like, I also deserve to be loved and have somebody give in return. Mutuality was a big thing that I had to learn that that was not part of it. And having that attitude, I have more bandwidth to have relationships with other people and at a deeper level because I'm not just living in survival mode. So I moved from just surviving and even not doing that very well all the way to thriving. When Um, you also took your time with Leslie and some of the things you've learned and this horrible experience of yours, and you've really put it into practice, helping other people talk about that a little bit. I'm working to become a certified abuse recovery coach. So let me say this. When I joined Conquer, when they you know, opened the doors, first I sat and cried, just like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Look at all these people in here and right. listening to their stories. And then I cried again, thinking, what in the world are all God's daughters doing in here? God, what is going on? And at that point, I made a pledge to myself that if I made it through this intact and God got me through this, that I would do everything in my power to help others. And so from that, I've done a lot of pre-work and I read all the time. I mean, I really just kind of live, eat, breathe this, but it's in a good way and it helps my healing. And so I, I want to help others. And like I said, the, the big thing is starting the program to become the abuse, uh, the certified abuse recovery coach. So that's really exciting. Yes, it is very exciting. Don, thank you for sharing with us today and sharing your story. I wanted to ask if you could just say one thing to someone who's listening, who's maybe becoming aware that she's in a destructive marriage, what would be your advice? I would say, first of all, your safety is most important. Always your safety, because all of our situations are different. And then after that is to really focus on your relationship with God and filtering out a lot of the voices and things that may be tearing you down and to really work on getting reoriented to who you are in God's eyes. If you're listening to this, then you probably already know about Leslie Vernick. Take advantage of those materials and do it at your own pace in your own way. For me, I listened all the time, but you may say, 
wow, I read one chapter and I have to be done for the week. That's all I can process. So learn to trust yourself again and remember who God created you to be and start on the path of just taking what is the right next step and find some other people. Again, wise others, wise others is important to help you on this journey. It's really hard. I don't know that you can do it on your own and God will get you through. It is hard. It is one of the most, well, it's probably the most excruciating thing that I've been through in my life, but there is light on the other end. This is not the end of your story. That is so encouraging. And for those people who are interested, I know we're going to be opening up walking in core strength soon. And Leslie's going to have a free webinar on February 16th. And you can find out all about that. Get on Leslie's email list at leslievernick.com and just start there. She'll make sure that you get the information on what's coming up, what's available. And I know she would love to partner with you. And uh, Dawn, I thank you. I'm so grateful that you found Leslie and Conquer. You've been a really positive part of this community. And thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for all that you do. Well, that's all for this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Thank you so much for listening. Go to lesliewernick.com for more resources. If this show was helpful, please subscribe and share, and we would love your honest rating and review. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with Him, with yourself, and with others.